Hello and welcome back to season five of Open with me, Emma Campbell, the podcast where connection happens through open-hearted conversations. There is such power in sharing our stories and allowing ourselves to be held and heard as we navigate life and its many chapters. So join me as I talk to a special guest each week in a way that aims to delve a little deeper. Uplifting insights, wisdom, takeaway nuggets that remind us of our own resilience, our limitless potential, and crucially, that the more we open up to each other, the more connected we feel. My guest on this week's episode of Open is motivational speaker, leadership and personal development mentor, Paul Scanlon. Paul has a huge and ever-growing social media following, and I discovered him last year on TikTok during one of my regular late-night scrolling sessions, and what drew me to his content was the concise, digestible wisdom he shares. His down-to-earth and what he calls wisdom-for-life approach to learning has him in demand as a keynote speaker all over the world, and this episode is full of nuggets that I'm sure will hit home. Paul encourages us to find our way back to ourselves and recognise that we can move beyond being stuck in old versions of ourselves that no longer serve us. I hope you get as much from this conversation as I did. Here it is. So, hi, Paul. How are you? Hey, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm really good and I'm really thrilled that we've got this time together today. Um, So thank you for joining me. I know how busy you are. Um, I found you, probably like many, many others, in probably in the last couple of years, I found you on TikTok. Mm. Um, last year, um, you came up on my feed, you know, the, the wonderful algorithm as, you know, so oh. much of my, what I was drawn to was kind of, you know, I guess always self-development mindset. And what really struck me about your content um, was the re- is the really concise and simple sort of bite-sized wisdom that you share, but it's it's profound you know but you you seem to be able to express it in a in a way that I find really digestible and and I'm able to kind of hold on to those those nuggets and I'm sure I'm not the only one who who feels the same so there's some there's some I'd love us through the course of our chat to touch on some of those kind of truths that you share um, and I think the beauty of, you know, I, I see the positives in social media. I think the beauty of a platform like TikTok is that you can just reach such a wide audience and yeah. really share those kind of um, takeaways, you know, yeah. in, a, in a in a very simple way, which we, we can go much deeper. But before we, before we go on to that, I would love you, if you don't mind, I'm sure you've shared your story many times. I'd love you just to take us back a little bit um, and t- talk, you know, explain how, you're on the path that you're on and and what led you to doing the work that that you do with such passion and commitment um if you don't mind i think um somebody asked me the other day i've asked i've been asked this several times through my life um but someone asked me more recently uh about how did i first know i was uh, a public speaker communicator whatever language they use because they were aspiring to do the same thing and when you mentioned a moment ago the posts and the trying to say a lot in a short time, which is what those condensed bits of wisdom are, I answered this person by saying, I think for me, I used to get so frustrated at people's, particularly leaders, politicians, corporate leaders, church leaders, um, health workers, health 
professionals are so frustrated at how they were unable to make something complicated simple. They seem to make complicated things more complicated. And that frustration, I think, was the beginnings of my awakening to decide that I would take on complex things, but make them simple. So for 45 years now, I have been doing that, I suppose, because to me, if something that's complicated and therefore inaccessible to most people who can't be bothered to figure it out or read the books or attend the event, but it's if it's something really vital to know about, like self-awareness, and no one's breaking it down and no one's making it accessible, then it means that most of us live all of our lives and never access these huge truths and awakenings because no one can be bothered to make them simple. And it becomes the domain of a small, almost secret group of people that keep it to themselves, um, which is no good to anyone. So I think that was the beginning of what you now see on TikTok, I suppose, uh, just to mention that for a moment. I think my journey towards where I am now, uh, I had a very violent, abusive, alcoholic father. And only in recent years have I become aware, since I wrote my last digital book called I Am Not My Father, about how much trauma I probably carried into my adult life because of him and that home situation, and for me and all my siblings. But one of the things that I did remember from that time, because my childhood is kind of a blur, and my memories are few and far between and generally very bad, like lots of our listeners and viewers would feel too. What I do recall is that from a young age, I had what I could best describe as a bloody-mindedness, a defiance, a stubbornness um, about my experience. And it manifested itself in different ways. But one of the ways I remember, funny story, was that when I was about 14, 15, and I was then in my generation, we had this thing called 11 plus exams, which you remember that crazy system. I went to secondary school that became comprehensive eventually. Um, so kind of all the all the failed kids kind of went to secondary school was the system, as it were. Yeah. The careers week came up and the careers officers came to our school to interview us all. And this careers officer was talking to us all. And I was sat in a queue like the doctor's waiting room. You're next in line, listening to his spiel with my mates. And when he said to them, what do you want to do? And they said what they wanted to do, depending on what they said, determined where he went with his script. Um, and so when I got there, he said to me, what do you want to do? And I said to him, I want to be a fighter pilot. And he laughed as if to say, that's funny. But you and me both, no, that's not an option for you kids here, maybe for the grammar school kids, was the unspoken script there. And then he said to me, which he said to all my mates that I'd overheard before me, what does your dad do? The belief was that back then you get an apprenticeship and you default to what your dad did. My dad was a coal miner. Um, and I knew that he was going to take me down to that route. And this defiance I mentioned to you came up in me. And he said, what does your dad do? I said to him, my dad is a serial killer. And he said to me, what did you say? I said, my dad's a serial killer. And then I laughed. And he got angry and frustrated, which is what I wanted him to do. 
And he was completely wrong-footed because of his script. And it was my way of saying to him, you can't say to me next. Maybe dad can get you a job doing that then. It was my way of short-circuiting this one-size-fits-all battery hen system. And it manifested like that it was cheeky. It was probably rude, disrespectful in how they would experience it. But it was my version of fighting back, and I would now call it defiance. And I use the word defiance because, to me, defiance is the first step away from a victim mentality. If you can be defiant, and, it, and, and defiance isn't pretty or thought through or has language even, but it is an energy that says, not on my watch, not me, I'm not having this. And I would say to people listening or watching that if they're going through something in their life and it feels like the force of inevitability says you should just lie down under it because this is how you are. This is how people that come from where you are should be. You shouldn't aspire to this or that because you didn't get a good education or you're from a wrong side of the tracks or you have no money or you're the wrong skin color or whatever it may be. If we can find some sense of defiance, that's enough to begin to wake you up to what possibly could come into that space. I think when you lie down under it, which I had a, cho a choice to do and everybody does, and no judgment here for anyone, because I think um, the chances to be defiant are multiple. If you miss the first few, it's okay. Others will come along. But there gets a point when if you don't be defiant about what's been a troubled past, which most of us have had, if we don't have some sense of defiance from the tethering effect of that, um, that gets you get to an age where you stay there. Well, it's in really I'm bursting with, with things in response to what you just said, because firstly, I think the fact that as a 14 year old and, and you've touched very briefly on, on your younger years and like yeah. you imagine the trauma, but you had that def defiance in inverted commas or that, you know, that kind of pushback mm. at age 14. Mm. How brilliant, like I'm kind of cheering the 14 year old. It's actually giving me goosebumps. But then I think of, of me or others who can't access that defiance until much much later if at all mm. so I would think now and I I'm at a point in the last couple of years in particular and even in the last few months in particular where for the first time ever I'm feeling a excuse my you know like a, a bit more of a bucket excuse my language and but for but it's so easy for people to say come on you've just got to if you can't access that fight, and if you can't access, then you can't access it. And if it feels that it's not even a emotional or feeling that is it's, it's alien to you, you know. And maybe as as, a, as women, we you know we we're often conditioned. We find it hard to sort of express that that more um, confrontational or angry side. But I think how amazing that as a fourteen year old you were able you had that seed because again, it, and it comes back to that kind of you talk a lot about boundaries. You talk a lot about mm. the impact that that people have on us and how we can minimize that. But also as you were talking, I was visualizing that kind of ceiling that so many of us have about yeah, what yeah, is available yeah. to us. And, and in a way I think, God, I wish I'd been that 14 year old because I was absolutely the opposite, but I'm so grateful that now at this point in my life at 52, I'm able to, 
I'm feeling it for the first time and it feels so exciting to think yeah. on a minute I'm going to break down all no one's put these walls around me I've I've done it and which I guess leads me on to the kind of I mean there's so much to talk about um one of the things that I've seen I you know comes up again and again is that that idea of finding our way our way back to ourselves and I won't quote you I'm, I mean I'd like but you you describe that as actually you it's not about finding your way back to yourself. It's about remembering. Mm. Emma, when you talked about um, you couldn't find the energy at 14 or in your teenage years, yeah. I, think, I think delayed defiance, and you mentioned the word then conditioning, is down to conditioning. I think we're conditioned to fit in and to comply, and we find belonging through that. So we do. Mm. And... <laughs> We don't celebrate defiance in young people because we see it as disruptive. We see it as rude, disrespectful. And of course, it can there can be versions of that. And I'm not here saying that all defiance uh, is channeled well uh, and sometimes never becomes channeled well. That was going to be one of my later questions in that how do we guide our children or the young people in our lives you know i've got triplets they're they're 14 and um i had twins so i feel your pain to some degree (laughs) two identical boys and a girl and they are naturally you know there is a there is a defiance there that comes very easily and you know wildness and a spirit spiritedness that i'm really really that at times has been unbelievably challenging as a parent and um but also i'm now I'm really wanting to embrace that and but I want to, to sort of it's guiding them isn't it like so yeah so what how what what do we give our young people and what do we well def- defiance has to become useful or it's just defiance and we've got too many people like that in the world so for me the raw version of it like I mentioned at school with the careers guy I knew that it would be insufficient and I had my wife and I had three kids by the time uh, we were 20. Um, so at, at around 20, early 20s, I felt so stuck. And I knew that I had the option to become a repeat of my father in terms of decisions I would make then in that depressed, stuck state I was in. Um, and again, this defiance came up. The defiance was. I suppose resistance to defaulting to the patterns of my family generationally. But that's not enough. And so what I would say to young people is the defiance is an energy to pay attention to. It's pushing you away from something. But you need to figure out not just what it's away from, what is it to? Somewhere in that defiance is what I would call a why or a calling or a purpose, whatever people call it, you have to find what that is. I was speaking to someone recently that had moved from London to Manchester, and I asked her, I said, why? and she'd been in Manchester now for about two years. I said, why did you move to Manchester? And she said, the reason I left London was, I didn't ask her why she left London. I asked you why she was in Manchester. And the point I'm making is she was still in the energy of escaping London 
and her frustration with London and her anger with London. And she was still carrying that two years into Manchester. That's the interesting idea as well about how we, we the stories that we have and the stories yeah. that, that shape us and define us if we let them. And that old story that we repeat and repeat and of we course. emanates from us. And actually, again, you know, are we living with that old story dictating every step we take or are we are we able to right. actually go enough that yes that was my past and that is what I experienced but now I I love that reframing so rather than because we either live in that stuck place just repeating and repeating and repeating or if we're lucky if we have some kind of awakening because I love that word you know as I can sometimes call it kind of I'm so grateful that I, you know, I feel that I'm able to live with my eyes wide open a lot more than I ever could. Yes. Um, so I think that's another, you've compounded that that belief. We, we were stuck in a council house, um, my wife and I and our three kids, and, oh, I felt so stuck. I worked in a carpet warehouse and it was, you know, in 16 pounds a week. Nobody can believe that was a wage back then. Um, and kind of hated my life, our life, and all that I mentioned, and lots of people can identify with this at different stages of life, not just in their youth, but it was in my youth. And my awakening triggering this day was um, not the careers teacher this time, but back then the council houses were painted blue-green-yellow, blue-green-yellow, all down the street is how they painted the houses. It was a system of how they painted. Me not knowing... That if you moved into a whatever color house you moved into, that's your color forever, kind of thing. And our house was yellow, and I mean bright canary yellow was, and that's the door and the window frames and so on. And I hated that color. And we've been in the house a couple of years, and one morning I opened the curtains while going through this sense of stuckness, and there's a council painter on ladders outside my bedroom window, painting my window frames yellow. And I opened the curtain, saw him. He did the worst thing and the best thing he could have done. He went like this, winked at me as if to say, good morning, I'm painting your house. I'm doing you a favor. Um, it's the time for the houses to be painted. I don't know what was in the wink, yeah, yeah. but it pissed me off. And it triggered something in me because I felt I don't even have the power to choose the color of my own front door, let alone when I want to paint it. So that defiance that day was triggered by him. But that day I decided I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to change my job. I'm going to get a job where I can make more money. And back then those kind of jobs were like sales jobs. I've no qualifications. I've no CV. Long story short, I got a job in sales, which also gave us a car. We couldn't afford a car. We had four girls. And the car was a kind of a life changer. Um, and I had, I realized I had a job that was linked to my gift of the gab, as it were. So I was a great salesman. I made a lot of money. And we saved up to get a deposit for the house. We were the first the first of either of our family lines to ever own our own home. But that happened that morning. And I, I say it's like it was like the Incredible Hulk woke up in the passive 
Dr. David Banner. And everybody has a Hulk inside them. Something has to wake that up in you. Then you have to figure out what is this waking up for? And for me, that became empowerment of myself. It became um, a desire to help other people discover that. And it set me off on this movement outwards towards those souls all over the world that were me and no one helped them. And they've been triggered all the time. I don't know they are. I don't know what to do with it. So I suppose I became curious about how I could figure out what that meant for, for me and for others. And so that's moved to the space I'm in now. And the whole thing of coming home to yourself was it has become a recent language to add to that, that I was not at home in myself, which was also part of my defiance, but I didn't know it was. I didn't know that I didn't know that probably my biggest issue was that I was separated from me. Um, and until I came back home to me, which defiance was partly getting me back to, if you don't defy where others have placed you, then you have no energy to question it. So when I said to him, my dad's a serial killer, I think it was my way of saying, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing this script, which now looking back was, I suppose, my essential self, my core self, my authentic self saying, this is not who we are. You're not going to be an apprentice. You're not going to go work in the mines. But I didn't have the language back then for that. But that's what it was. And I think I want to encourage everybody listening and watching us, to us and watching us to figure out what your defiance is about. And I'm guaranteeing everybody it's something to do with it nudging you back home to you. Do you think, I mean, I absolutely love how you've explained that and the image of the the image of the the guy up the ladder you know painting and not yet another coat of yellow I mean it's so it's such a powerful kind of memorable image you can almost see it on the screen it's like a yeah, yeah. Sort of filmic quality to it but I can really see how it's often those moments that are just the that that's it that's right how for those you know listening to our to our conversation if because you obviously went through such a challenging time in those very early years that and i i have been through enormous challenges in the last 20 years in terms of illness you know cancer diagnosis all all kind of stuff and i know that i'm where i'm at as a result right of those challenges yeah and so without sounding trite or kind of you know I'm very aware of of certainly in the community that I'm in of of sounding you know very mindful of the language I use and that kind of thing of well I, w- I wouldn't change any of it because you know I I know when I've been in my most fearful paralyzed state of of you know not able to see the light um it's the fear is so tangible so mm. I I don't want to sit here sounding flippant but I but I know that and of course, I would love not to not choose to have had a cancer diagnosis three times. But I absolutely know without a shadow of a doubt that it's shaped me and changed me fundamentally. And I wonder how people can find themselves having that kind of awakening or coming back to themselves or really finding their life's purpose. Does it always have to take a kind of 
near-death experience or a tower moment or some kind of early tragedy you know some you know is that what we're here you know do you know do you know what I mean it's like yeah someone's dying the old versions of you are dying so there is suffering and there is loss and there is grieving and there is um danger and a lack of safety to step away from who you used to be so I don't think this awakening that we talk about is possible without some dark night of the soul experience, I suppose, whatever that is for people or several versions of that. Yeah, we don't we don't grow in comfort. No, we don't. And it's funny because I had a, a head of, you know, obviously I've been thinking about this conversation, you know, certainly over the last few days, if not if not longer. And it was funny, I had a real realization yesterday. I had a had a therapy session yesterday morning. And I was, you know, gone from talking to my therapist once a week in a kind of heightened state to it's at that point now where it's every two or three weeks, and that feels really nice because that's another marker of yeah. my progress. Yes. We had it, we had a I had a session yesterday morning, and I was sort of just saying that I felt was in a good place and I was see where I was at compared to where I might have been and but also the realization was um differentiating between the challenges that will naturally come in our lives inevitably for all of us there's no way of avoiding the, the grief the loss the heartbreak yeah. the financial woes whatever it might be but I think the epiphany I had yesterday morning was I'll face the challenges, but I don't have to wrap those challenges up in drama. I think the sort of way I'd, I, my default setting would, in a helpless way, has often been, I don't understand it. Why, why do all these things, ha-? you know, drama to drama, whether it's a diagnosis or this or that or the other. And there was this feeling of calm and centeredness as, as I was, as I had this moment yesterday of, Hang on a minute, because as we know, it's not about striving for a permanent state of happiness because happiness isn't a permanent state. But I thought I don't instead of living my life going forward in this kind of crouching position, waiting for the next thing, the next big thing to happen that I will have to, you know, will keep me in survival mode. Gosh, maybe if I can kind of embrace what will inevitably come or at least know that I will rise to those challenges and they will pass, they will present themselves and then they will move on but the difference in how that feels as opposed to that very fearful small what's next what's next mm-hmm. is this going to be the thing that breaks me is that going to be does that do you, want, you know and that was just a real moment and I suppose that tied in with again some of the content I've seen of yours and and just really kind of finding our own anchor and our own center and yeah I I just I get very excited by this way of talking and this way of thinking, and I feel very grateful that I found I think, it. I think drama, Emma, too, is a product of the ego. It is the ego's job to create drama when you're thinking of changing your identity because the ego's job is to, of course, keep you locked in to the identity that the ego has had constructed for you and the narratives around it. So... The moment we decide to wake up and respond differently or 
calmly or measured, then the ego feels threatened. That's why I've done a lot of teaching in recent years about intuition and nudging people towards living much more from the intuition than from their head because the intuition is fueled by curiosity and fascination and the ego is not. The ego has zero curiosity. So I think when people start to wake up and get curious and perhaps pick up a book they'd never normally read, or listen to a voice that historically they would be threatened by, um, or begin to change their hairstyle, or change their appearance in some way, or jump on a dating app, or decide to take themselves out on a date, or whatever it may be, when they start to have these behaviors that are their way of trying to break away from a stuckness, the ego goes nuts. And it, it presents as a drama energy inside, often comes out as that, especially if someone says to you the same thing your ego is saying to you, like, what? You, you did what? No, 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 no. Can't believe you did that. Oh, that looks terrible on you. Your hair looks awful. And, and when when that happens, the ego grabs a hold of that and says, yes, exactly. What are we doing? This is not who we are. And that takes a huge amount of defiance and effort to break free from that anchoring effect. And most people don't survive it. And that's what, that's what a midlife crisis is often about. That people think, well, that's not who I am. I've been someone else's version of me all my life. And they start waking up. And the classic stereotype is, you know, get a sports car and go on a diet and or, or whatever. But of course, that is all cosmetic and and midlife crisis isn't a crisis. Crisis is the wrong word. Crisis suggests it can be diagnosed and fixed. A better term for it would be midlife unraveling, because that's what it is. Yeah. And in that unraveling is an opportunity to disengage from the ego and its autopilot settings. Mm. It's an opportunity to fly your life manually for a while and see how that feels for you. It's an opportunity to wear that hat or read that book or do something different or have an opinion, for God's sake, where normally you don't have one or whatever. It's a chance to do that. And the more of that that we do, the more the ego is disempowered and the more the authentic you wakes up and the closer to home you become. And one of the reasons I'm in this space that I am, and you are too, I guess, is because it's really, really difficult to do that on your own. You need somebody who makes you feel seen, who makes you feel you're not out of your mind. And I know therapists can do that, but therapy, therapy is still a cottage industry in Europe. It is widespread and mainstream in America, as you know. Um, so and it's beyond people's reach financially and so on to have some version of that. But if you can find some version of a friend or a book or an online voice or a podcast, people should do that because to feel seen when you feel you're out of your mind, everybody that's known you for years is saying to you that you are, most people go back then and stay stuck. Absolutely. Which leads me on to what you're, what you're now sharing um a guide yeah so I'd, I'd love to hear more about that 
Well, Guide is my new online community that we just launched, and it is inviting people to have my guidance in their life this year, I suppose. I've always behaved like a guide as opposed to a guru. Um, and lots of people experience my voice, I suppose, as a guide. I think the community idea was, okay, so let's make that more of an intentional community because it, it, it instantly removes us also from a lot of the uh, downside of social media and the algorithms. Because if we create a community of like-minded people, we don't have to just find each other through random posts, that we can create a space away from social media by doing Zooms together once a month and so on, and other things that are involved in that community that we're offering to people to find some kind of guide connection with me to their lives. So that's what we are experimenting with at the moment and uh, it's on my social media, so if people want to know more, they can just go in there and look through the feed and they'll find or go to paulscanlon.com and find information about it. But, but the word guide, because it's an acronym, isn't it? You yeah. Talk me through the the words. The, the... the acronym was, the G is for grace, mm. and the U is for unify, and the I is for intuition, and the D is for design. And the E is for empower. These, I suppose, um, markers and values of guide mattered to me to have involved in that. And, and I'm at the moment doing regular, almost daily posts on Instagram, especially on my IG stories, explaining what I mean by those yeah. words or why I think it matters to have grace for each other and grace for ourselves when we are trying to reinvent and change, why I think it matters to reach into your intuition and your intuitive self when you are waking up rather than overthink and stay in your head. We have been raised, my generation and yours, Emma, to a degree, in a left-brain logic world. And that's changing, thank God. And the emerging generation certainly your kids and mine, and certainly my grandkids, are growing up in a world not dominated by that. They're growing up in a world that is much more right-brain creative, right-brain looking for meaning, significance, contribution. So intuition will get you there quicker. And that kind of ties, mm -hmm. I think, well, my interpretation of that is that idea of, like you're saying, about not just being in our brains, but that kind of heart-brain coherence yeah, and exactly. really kind of drawn yes, to as well totally. um i have to sort of ask your thoughts on um sort of relationships i guess so mm. you know you talk about i hope you don't mind me quoting you constantly but i loved i love it when you say don't don't contract contract out your emotional health to another yeah. human being because if you you do you give power to them to make yes you homeless so yes. I you the power to make me homeless yes how, how do we approach relationships say intimate relationships in this example wholeheartedly without contracting out our emotional health because there must be a way i think you have i think um i know people don't do this i suppose but um you have to be aware 
of who you are in that relationship apart from the other person what baggage did you bring with you what are your attachment styles what are your narratives what are your default behaviors and mindsets um what is your trauma and so on and so on i think unless we give attention to that we are going to make someone else responsible for that to fix it or to soothe it or to regulate it and of course most relationships are some version of that and that's okay for a while if we if 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 i know i'm doing that for you or you for me but it doesn't have longevity so i think what i'm saying in those remarks is that the person you will listen to the most in your life is you the person you will have to love the most in your life is you so you are the love of your life actually no one else is the person you will spend most time with and be most influenced by and so on and so on the answer to that is you you and you so if you don't know who that you is then you're going to have most of your life estranged from you which automatically means you are someone else's version of you and the older you get the more that becomes hugely problematic in its effect on your mental and emotional health your physical health because the more you live dancing to someone else's tune for your life and the more separate you are from you then the more unaligned you are and an integrity to me means that your internal beliefs are aligned with your external habits and behaviors of life and so if your external behavior is what others expect from you or what you have given away to someone else that dictates to you how you be then this lack of integrity that we're not living in again takes its toll so i'm not saying that you can't be in love with someone or enjoy all of that what i'm saying is you should never fully give yourself to another person in a way that you should only give yourself to you and to the point where i would say these days <laughs> i said this to someone a while back of us suggesting of something they should say to someone that was abandoning them that you can't abandon me that would have been true years ago before i came home to me but you can't abandon me because that's my job that's your job only i can abandon me you can leave me and you can step away from me and i can do that with you but this sense of abandonment and i think when we when we give too much of ourselves or the wrong part of ourselves to another person that's why there's a risk of being homeless because on the day they decide to not validate you to not be there for you to not have your back to not include you or whatever it may be you are rendered in those moments instantaneously um adrift and homeless and estranged and what happens is when that happens people do everything they can to try and get back into that home by people pleasing by compliance by denying themselves yet again by saying yes when they mean no uh, by apologizing and i spend a lot of my time saying to people don't do that i know it's uncomfortable 
But if you now apologize and go back home to that home, you spend another year away from yourself. So it's that's what I mean, is to love people and have all of that, but always keep something back that's only ever going to be yours. And that, oh, more goosebumps, um, but that realisation, and I might have said this on a, on another in another podcast conversation, um, but the recent realisation that no one can actually reject you. Yeah. If you don't reject yourself, it's only, you know, and um, that when I had that kind of little light bulb moment um, a few months ago, that was very another very comforting realization of like, okay, I don't need to be as scared as I've been feeling of the idea of possibly opening my heart again, or you know, after a you know divorce or whatever, because the abandonment was you know i abandoned myself metaphorically yes. and yes. i just if i commit and honor myself enough to know that i won't do that again yes there's a, there's a feeling of it's okay it's safe for me to consider love or let love in or right exactly experience that again and it's that's right it, it can you can i don't know about you i can get quite sort of evangelical about all of this yeah <laughs> these conversations because it feels like such a gift to have got to a point where it's not about well this is the way I think therefore this is it this this is my journey you know but I think the more we there is there is so many of us who are resonating with all of this language and all of this awareness and and yeah sadly as a result of some very very dark times but I think you're right I think the dark nights of the soul you know to whatever level, whatever degree, you know, that it, that's, that is where the, the growth comes. Um, but what, so just, I mean, I'm, I'm aware that we're, we're coming to the end of our time together, but what, do, so what do you having at this point in your life and obviously being on the journey you're on and the work continues, but you have a very, very clear purpose and you have a drive and, and this desire to reach as many people, but on the days when you're, what are the days like where you're finding it hard to access the words that you speak? You know, we all have the days where we just think, oh, I can't, you know, life or the the minutiae or, you know, what, how do you, what's, how do you dig deep, extra deep on those days where there might be something that's really making it? Feel quite I think the longer you spend it in, in, in any pursuit of life, the more you, take on board a certain set of metrics and behaviors to correct those metrics if they're off. And I think people need to find that for themselves, whatever it is. Uh, so for me to know how I recharge, to know that I am an introvert has helped me to discover how I recenter Um Meditation, being still, being quiet, ice bath, <laughs> uh, gym. I ice bath and gym most days. Bloody freezing this time of year, but I still commit to it. And and, and honestly, a lot of the you know the gym and the ice bath and stuff is has been a huge benefit to putting me back into my body. 
because childhood trauma of the nature I had, I, I became aware, is disembodying. Kids that live in an abusive home escape into their heads and become hypervigilant, and I did. So for me to do things that put me back to my body, to feel my body, to be in my body has been really good for me. And that has been very grounding to me to do things because all my life I think I've missed out on being in my body. Uh, and I've, I've never danced. I, I've envied dancing uh, because I've felt so not in my body and so not in tune with rhythm. And I've had a, not a bad relationship with food, but I don't think I've had the enjoyment of it that I've wanted to. So I think it's manifested in things like that. So now having realized what things put me back into me, whether it be physically, like I mentioned, or mentally meditation or being still or being quiet um, or choosing a different energy space to have around me, um, having very thought through playlists yeah. and so on and so on and finding out what lights you up, finding out what lights your soul up and doing more of it on an any given day maybe two or three of those things would be good to do to bring me back to me. So there's practices that we all can find that, that correct the drift on any given day, because we're all, we all have those days. You're absolutely right. Yeah. A wonderful way of describing it. It's, it's interesting what you were saying about coming back into your body. Um, I went for a run this morning and running is something that I really fell in love with five years ago when I had a, you know, my last, um, you know, cancer, mm. I had to change treatment. Um, and it felt like a crazy time to start right. with running based on the fact that I was on new chemo. And but mm. actually what the gift it gave, the gift it gave me more than yes. anything, obviously the big, the, the, the instant mood boost and the, the, you know, the fresh air and all of that, but it was like, oh. it, made me reconnect with my body that had had and often still does go through such a lot of trauma. Yes. Um, that it was this wonderful beginning of me running slowly, stumbling, tripping, walking, no personal best particularly. Right. But on those days where the anxiety dial was very high, every kilometre that I ran was like, it was like a reminder of what my body was doing for me rather than against, right. against me. Yeah, it's good. And so I really love that. That So, I, yeah, really relate to what you say, anything that can re reconnect us. Um, gosh, I feel like there's so much I could um, – I feel like you've, you've just got so much to share, and I, and I think <laughs> I'm so grateful that I found you. Thank um, you. Even if it was at 2 o'clock in the morning on TikTok when I couldn't sleep last <laughs> year. <laughs> scrolling along with chihuahua videos and and then yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the two extremes but i really yeah. i think you you have so much wisdom to share and i think the work you're doing is is deeply impactful thank um, you and i really am really grateful for our time today thank you so i will yeah i mean people can find you on certainly on tiktok on yeah. instagram uh, via your website um and i will yeah. encourage them to look you up if they don't already follow you thank you thanks emma thanks for having me on so much paul keep in touch 
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Open, hosted by me, Emma Campbell, and produced by Pretty Fire Audio Productions. It would mean so much if you would take a moment to like, review and subscribe to the show. I'm loving having these conversations and I really hope you're enjoying them too. So please join me for the next episode. And in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram at LimitlessM. Say hello. And if you'd like to join one of my regular online expressive writing workshops, where we use gentle prompts and timed exercises to let the words flow beautifully onto the page, then check out the schedule link in my Instagram bio or email me at emma at limitlessm.com for more info. See you soon.